Welcome to Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, a program provided by Living Stream Ministry and featuring the ministry of Watchman Nee and Witness Lee. Witness Lee completed his comprehensive work called The Life Study of the Bible before going to be with the Lord in 1997. And we're pleased to bring you recorded excerpts from the Life Study of Philippians on today's broadcast. Now, let's join today's Life Study. As believers in Christ, we are all motivated, at least to some degree, to try to live the Christian life. Well, this is a noble and worthy desire, but the Bible presents us with an even higher aspiration, and that is not just to live a Christian life, but to live a life that is the expression of Christ himself. If you think these two things are the same, you better think again, and you also better stay with us for this life study program from the Book of Philippians today. And we're happy to welcome Francis Ball back to the microphone. Francis, uh, we need to live a life that is the expression of Christ Himself. It seems like a tall order, doesn't it? That's uh, impossible by human effort. So we want to get into this. Paul unfolds a number of things for us uh, that are going to bring to light how it can be possible, because it is impossible uh, on one hand. So we have a divine paradox. It comes today, our message from verse 8 in chapter 4. We'll get to that in just a moment. It's really a continuation of a section that we touched yesterday, or at least began to touch yesterday. And in this section in chapter 4, verses 5 through, oh, verse 8, we're really seeing a kind of Christian living or a kind of life that expresses Christ and not just good Christian behavior. Two points particularly impressed me yesterday, Francis. Those were the matter of forbearance And then this thing that Paul touches in verse 6, he says, In nothing be anxious, a life free of anxiety. How is this possible, Francis? That is the most wonderful thing about uh, being a Christian, that it's possible to live a life without anxiety. But anxiety is the gear that causes the economy of the world to operate. If people were not anxious, nothing would happen because the uh, anxiety is what keeps people working, what keeps them studying, and what keeps them going. But for the Christian, we have another life in us. And so the Lord tells us here, through the Apostle Paul, to be anxious for nothing. That is a tall order. There's hardly a day that we don't have a good amount of anxiety in most of our lives. But the Lord's Word here is really a deliverance from that kind of living. We can experience an anxiety-free life if we listen to this and if we're infused with the Christ himself who could be our life. I don't know about you and the other brothers that help us here on this program, but it's impossible for me uh, to not be reminded of this verse every time those lights go on and we know we're about to record and uh, <laughs> for anxiety not to set in. But we need to have this anxiety-free experience really for the Lord to have a way to be expressed. We need what Paul says in verse 7, the next verse, and having the peace of God which surpasses every man's understanding will guard your hearts and your thoughts in Christ Jesus. That's uh, somewhat the opposite to anxiety, isn't it? That's it. When the peace of God is really operating in our hearts, that's a freedom from anxiety. Well, let's go on and look at verse 8. Paul continues his portrayal here of this living that expresses Christ. 
It gives us in one verse what Witness Lee calls six governing aspects of such a life. This is verse 8 in Philippians chapter 4. Finally, brothers, what things are true, what things are dignified, what things are righteous, what things are pure, what things are lovely, what things are well spoken of, if there is any virtue and if any praise, take account of these things. Let's join Witness Lee for his first section today, Francis. Verse 8 gives us six governing aspects. The life that lives Christ surely is expressed in these six governing aspects. What are the six? Number one, he says, whatever is true. I tell you, in the expression of the life that lives Christ, there's no falsehood, no lie. Whatever you do, whatever you say, that must be truthful. A truthful life is an expression of Christ. Then, second, whatever is honorable, noble, very noble, not only gentleman, but a nobleman. This implies the idea of dignity, which inspires something and invites something. This is the second governing aspect of the expression of the life that lives Christ. Then thirdly, you have whatever is righteous. It means anything that is right before God and man. You must do the right thing. This is another governing aspect. Then number four, whatever is pure. I like this. It must be pure. No mixture. No pretense. It must be pure. Single in intention and action without any mixture. This is also a governing aspect. Then number five, whatever is lovely. Lovable, agreeable, and daring. Number five, whatever is well spoken of, of good repute, renowned, attractive, winning, gracious, you consider this. Now you understand why Paul didn't mention kindness, why Paul didn't mention patience, why Paul didn't mention holiness, and so forth, because only the six are the governing aspects. Truthfulness. Then reverence, then the right things to be right and to be pure and to be lovely and to be of a good report. Are not all these the governing aspects? If we are living Christ, surely we must have such an expression with all these six governing aspects. In our life that lives Christ, no lie, no falsehood, no looseness, lightness, but full of honor. Francis, there's a long list of old Christian virtues that could have been included here. Uh, as he mentioned, patience, kindness, uh, holiness, many things. But Paul has limited himself to these six marvelous terms. It seems that through the Spirit's leading and inspiration, he chose these words very, very carefully, didn't he? 
I would say very carefully because these words are not just human virtues that can be lived out by a person in his human life by his natural goodness. These are terms that I'm really amazed at, that he would use such uh, high terms to express the kind of life that we believers should live. We have to realize that this is not possible by our natural strength because we're naturally not righteous. We're naturally not that loving and that pure. With us, there's a lot of mixture. I was impressed with every one of these and particularly with the uh, different terms he used to express like being noble and not having anything uh, of lies, nothing untrue. Everything has to be with truth. And the things that are well spoken of are the things that really are those things that express Christ, not just express something good. So these terms uh, deserve a lot of, I would say, pray reading. Mm-hmm. Every one of these terms could be prayed over very much to get this kind of life injected into our being and even become our behavior. I think you put your finger on something that uh, is absolutely critical. These things are not just the expression of something good. These are uniquely the expression of a person, Christ, aren't they? That's right. That's the very characteristics of Christ. His attributes are expressed in human virtues, and this is what comes out. We most often are willing to settle for that which uh, is just good, Um, but that is really short of the mark according to the experience or the depth of the experience that the apostle here is laboring so much to bring us into. Right. This depth goes beyond our human capacity in itself. Well, if we're going to fully appropriate just how meaningful these aspects of Christ's life are, we're going to see in this coming section that we need to go all the way back to Genesis chapter 1 to see something of how we were created. Genesis one twenty six, at least the first part says, And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. This matter of man being in God's image is crucial for us to really be able to lay hold of this matter. Let's go back to Witness Lee. We all know the human virtues were created by God. Genesis one twenty six says, We were made in the image of God. All these governing virtues are what? Are the expression of God's divine attributes. Our human virtues are vessels to contain God's divine virtue. Just like the glove. The glove is made in the image of the hind with the intention that one day the glove will contain the hand. And the Bible tells us the image of God is Christ. Christ, Second Corinthians chapter 4 says, is the image of God. So when man was made in the image of God, man was made according to the form of Christ. Man was made according to Christ. Why? Because one day man will contain Christ. The glove is designed in the pattern of the hand. Why? Because with the intention, one day this glove will contain the hand. Man was designed by God to bear the pattern of Christ. One day Christ will be put into man. Man becomes a vessel that contains Christ. 
And Romans 9 tells us clearly, man was made a vessel to contain the glory of God, which is the very expression of God, that is Christ. Okay, all this human virtue, truthfulness, you see, dignity, rightness, and then pureness, and then loveliness, and the good report, all these are just vessels to contain the reality. And the reality is Christ. Why we dare to say that here these six aspects are the expression of the life that lives Christ? Because in chapter 1, you have the sentence. Paul says, to me, to live is Christ. Paul was living Christ. Then how could Paul charge the saints to live something else. So whatever he charged the saints to live must be what? The expression of the reality that Paul and the saints live. And that reality is just Christ. Then in second chapter, we see the pattern of Christ. Then in chapter 3, we see the gaining of Christ pursuing Christ after the goal to gain Christ and so forth. He even condemned, counted all things refuse. How could he exalt all the human virtues? There should be nothing apart from Christ. These virtues must be the expression of the very Christ whom the believer lives. Francis, I'd like to spend a few minutes... uh on this matter of image that we touched in Genesis 1. And there, of course, we realize that God created man in his image. It also appears in 2 Corinthians 4, Christ, it says, who is the image of God. He used this illustration of the hand in a glove to make this point. And this is a wonderful illustration that we often use to describe what the Bible calls God's economy. How does it relate to these exquisite human virtues spoken of here? Well, the human virtues, of course, were created by God. And as he pointed out in this illustration, a glove is made to contain the hand. This is an illustration of the divine attributes being the reality or the hand that comes into the glove, which is the container. Now, we were created with certain human virtues, but these are just a shadow. They're not the real thing. There's not the life in it that really produces a God's life in human beings. But when we receive Christ, we got his life and his virtues or his attributes put into us so that now the human virtues are empowered, I would say, are really the expression of the divine attributes. In another way, human virtues are a vessel to contain Christ as the divine content. And we have such virtues as forbearance and truthfulness and dignity, but these are, as I said, just shadows, not the reality. They're the vessels or containers, not the content. So God's intention is to work himself into man so that actually Christ, in all his attributes, which are divine, should be worked into our human virtues so that we would be the expression of God. These divine attributes would be expressed in our human virtues. I really hope our listeners are catching this uh, illustration, Francis. It seems simple, but it is so profound to understand 
this matter of man being in God's image uh, with these virtues, in a sense, somewhat analogous to the fingers in the glove. Right. But without the content, without the proper filling of the glove with the hand, there's mostly vanity there, isn't there? That's right. A lot of activity, but no reality. But we have the real hand desiring, working, operating to fit himself into the vessel, the glove that uh, we provide for him. Amen. Francis, in reading verses like verse 8, where we touch these six divine attributes of Christ that are really the governing aspects, as he called them, a verse like this can have the effect of bringing us all to the realization of just how short we are of the mark. We just don't have the ability to live such a life. Maybe for a moment we do something that is in the nature of being dignified, but to sustain a life that is true and honorable and righteous and pure uh, and lovely and well-spoken of, it can be very discouraging to us if we really take our eyes off what Paul brings us to in verse 13, which is where we're going now. And that short verse simply says, I am able to do all things in him who empowers me. Or in him who fills the glove, I guess we could say. Let's go back to Witness Lee. After reading verse 8, I do believe all of us would say, we have no way, no possibility. We cannot live such a life. Who can live such a life? You tell me. Confucius, ethical teaching is the highest. Even he does have the highest learning. He has a book which is titled The Highest Learning. You see, the highest learning. I studied that, but compared with this verse, there's no comparison. How could we make up to have such an expression of life? According to ourselves, by ourselves, in ourselves, no way. But you go on from verse 9 to verse 13. Paul says, I can do all things in him who empowers me. By this you can see all these aspects are the expression of the very Christ in whom Paul can do everything. These six aspects must be the very expression of the life that is revealed to live Christ in chapters 1, 2, 3, and 4. These are not merely human virtues. These are not the virtues developed by Confucius. These are the virtues as the very expression of the very Christ whom we live. Now, you see, all these six are mentioned with this phrase, whatever is. Then the last two, the expression changes, if there is any. If any, if any, it changes. If there's any virtue, and if any praise, virtue and praise, virtue and praise, these two are not two additional aspects. These are the value of the foregoing six items. In those foregoing six items, every item has some virtue. Every item has some praise. The description of the expression of a life that lives Christ is so excellent. My, to be truthful, to be honorable, to be righteous or to be right, and to be pure, to be lovely, and to be of a good report all the time, surely 
This is excellent. In every aspect of the six, there is some virtue and there is some praise. So these are the description of a life expression, an expression of a life that lives Christ. Francis, in the beginning of his sharing there, he was making a comparison to Confucius, who, of course, stressed ethical teaching. This is a big contrast. In a sense, I guess, against the backdrop of today's program, this would be somewhat like instructing the glove rather than filling the glove with the hand. If we're going to have any hope of living such a life, we need this empowering one operating. I like this part. Maybe you could help us with some practical aspects that uh, can bring us all into the experience of the empowering one. I think probably the key thing that we have really learned under this ministry is God's economy is to put himself into us. And this illustration of the hand and the glove really helps this because there's no power in the glove. It may be a beautiful glove. It may be clean. And it may be with no fault and no flaws. But anyway, it's empty. Mm -hmm. It's necessary that this hand containing or being the very attributes of God and filling every part of our human virtues that were created by God, but were empty. We are a vessel. To get redeemed, we got recovered. Right. You know, we got cleansed by the blood. We got recovered. But now, that doesn't do anything but clean us up. That makes a good-looking glove and clean glove, but it takes the hand to be able to do the things that God wants to do. So when you used that verse a while ago, I am able to do all things in him who empowers me. Paul is not saying, well, I've learned a lot now. I've learned a lot of philosophy and a lot of uh, understanding and a lot of experience. I am able to do all things. No, I am able to do all things in him who empowers me. Him is Christ himself. God, with all his attributes in Christ, are put into our being. We're the glove now that can do all things that the hand can do because he fits every part of our virtuous life. Only he can be the real virtues, the real expression of Christ. He is Christ, and he's filling us, and he's empowering us. This power is not something outward, flamboyant and uh, so uh, miraculous, but it's that daily living by Christ that can be carried out by our constant contact with him. In other words, we have a daily time with the Lord when we open ourselves to him, and moment by moment we have what life lived in dependence upon him, and his empowering will carry out all these marvelous virtues that we were looking at. This is tremendous, Francis. Referring back to the book of Acts, we see Peter was imprisoned, and the Lord delivered him miraculously and powerfully, sending angels, and the chains fell off. Quite a demonstration of God's power in that regard. But here, Paul, more advanced, I think we would have to say, in his Christian life, is experiencing another kind of power, and that is the power to live such a life, expressing, reflecting Christ, even in the context of his imprisonment and his chains and bonds. So, there's really more here than I think meets the uh, the surface, isn't there? There certainly is. And when you mention this, I realized that Paul was writing this while he was in prison. Right. And saying, I'm able to do all things <laughs> in him who empowers me. But he doesn't empower him to break out of jail. 
He empowered him to live Christ while he was in jail. That's right. Well, these are all lessons that the Lord is bringing us into day by day. I certainly praise him that we have such a ministry that opens uh, so many windows and curtains and veils. Yes, indeed. And I have the same appreciation. Thanks, Francis, for being with us today and uh, come back and see us very soon. I hope so. Uh, We're out of time. I'd like to leave you with our toll-free number and invite you to contact us here at uh, Living Stream Ministry. That number is 1-888-LIFE-STUDY, 888-543-3788. And please join us again tomorrow as we continue our life study of Philippians. For Francis Ball today, I'm Chris Wilde. Thank you very much for listening. series of messages given to his co-workers in 1948 and 1949, Watchman Nee presents a balanced view of studying the Bible. In addition to providing practical guidelines for discovering the riches in God's Word, he spends an equal amount of time to impart a burden that those who study the Bible must be proper persons before the Lord. Only then can we receive light and revelation from the Holy Scriptures. How to Study the Bible by Watchman Nee from Living Stream Ministry is available now at Christian bookstores or call 1-888-543-3788. That number again is 1-888-543-3788. To receive a free catalog of Living Stream Ministry publications, call today toll-free 1-888-543-3788.